you to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and pull out those message notes. I'm continuing my series on love, on how to love people. And uh, we're in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and we're looking at verse 4. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 4. Love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it does not dishonor others, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no records of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth, it always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. We will also be in Psalm 73 and Psalm 37 this morning. Let's pray together. Lord, I'm asking this morning that you would help me to make your word clear to where we're living our lives at. Again, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your love, Lord. Thank you for enabling us and helping us. Some of us have had mountaintop experiences. Isn't that wonderful? Others of us, not so much. It's been a real difficult time. Thank you that your word tells us that we can rejoice with those who rejoice and we can mourn with those who mourn. Help us to do so, Lord. Help me to share this word to where we, again, are living our lives. In Jesus Christ's name we pray these things. Amen. I remember reading or hearing about a very, very successful businessman. This successful businessman was quite wealthy, and he loved his mother. He absolutely loved his mother, mother, and he loved to give her wonderful gifts, but he ran out of ideas of what to give his mother. But then he ran across some special birds. These birds cost $5,000 apiece. They could talk, they could sing, they could dance. He was so excited and he bought two of these $5,000 birds and he had these birds shipped to his mother. And again, he was so excited. On Mother's Day, he called her up and he said, Mom, did you get the present that I sent you? Did you get those birds? And she said, Oh, honey, they tasted so good. He said, No, no, Mother. No, no, you don't understand. Those birds cost $5,000 a piece, and I got both of them for you because they can sing, and they can dance, and they can talk. Well, she said, they should have said something. (laughs) That's where we end up. That's where we end up. 
That's where we end up if we don't speak up and preach and teach about what we believe. Really, that's where we end up if we don't teach and preach about what we believe. I believe that the greatest treatise ever written on love is found here in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. I believe that love can transform a life. And I believe that this love that we talk about is slow to lose patience. It is kind, like we've been looking at for the last couple of weeks. And love does not envy. Love does not envy. You say, Pastor Ron, what does that mean? Love does not envy. Well, I've given some definitions in your message note outline. The Greek word for envy means to crave. It means to desire what another has rather than to be satisfied with what we have. But this is only a part of it. This is only a part of it. Someone writes, envy is different from jealousy. Jealousy says, I want what you have. Envy says, I not only want what you have, but I want you to lose what you've got. I wish you didn't have it in the first place. Envy says, not only do I want my grass to be greener, but I want yours to turn brown. Someone else writes, Envy has an element of desire in it. Someone has experienced a real or perceived advantage or benefit in life, and you want that happen to happen to you. This is not necessarily envy, but it can occur when another ingredient is added. The sin of envy is born, it comes to full bloom, when this desire is tinged with resentment. Resentment. That it is going well for the other person and not for you. So in a sentence, envy is a mingling of a desire for something with resentment that another is enjoying. And we are not. And church, I want you to think about it. Think of all the different ways that we can be tempted to envy. Opportunities for envy abound. A friend gets married. And you're not married. And you wonder, how come they found such a good spouse? What's going on? How come I'm not married? You have a chronically sick child at home. Your kid is sick week after week after week. They get every cold, they get every flu bug, they get every childhood disease. But the other families, who are no better than us, never have sick children. You're a second stringer on your high school volleyball team, basketball team, football team, sports team. All you do is warm the bitch while the first stringer, even though he or she is a smart aleck, gets to play all the time. A neighbor, a real scoundrel. How many of you have had neighbors that are real scoundrels? Don't raise your hand. <laughs> a real scoundrel. He wins a million dollar lottery. And you're barely living from paycheck to paycheck. And we have all of these opportunities for temptation as far as envy is concerned. In fact, I want you to turn with me to Psalm, Psalm 73. Turn with me to Psalm 73. And I want you to look at the universal or common ways in which we're tempted to give in to envy. Uh, Psalm 73, verse 1. Notice he begins, Psalm 73, back in the Old Testament. Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. It's a fact. God is good, especially to those who are pure in heart. 
But notice, notice what happens, verse 2, but as for me, my feet almost slipped. I nearly lost my foothold. What's happening here? What's going on? Another translation reads, I came close to the edge of the cliff. It's not an exaggeration to say that the psalmist is saying, because of this one thing, I almost lost my mind. Because of this one thing, I almost slipped off the edge of the cliff. Because of this one thing, I almost lost my, lost it altogether. I almost lost everything because of this one thing. What's that one thing he's talking about? Verse 3, For I envied. For I envied. Who did he envy? I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Isn't that interesting? The context tell, tells us, here I am, serving the Lord faithfully, doing what I think He wants me to do. I believe that He does bless the people who work, uh, walk upright. And yet all of these people around me are getting ahead. All of these people are prospering. All these people are more healthy. All these people are more wealthy. I'm sure the question could have been asked in the late 1950s when Nate Saint and Jim Elliott died at the hands of those tribesmen in Papua New Guinea. I'm sure family members and friends and people around the world, here they were, faithful, sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ, and yet a man who is, would be relatively the same age as Nate Saint and Jim Elliott is Hugh Hefner, while he's peddling his smut, while he's prospering, while he seems to be happy, what gives? What's going on? Here I am, barely able to make it, financially speaking, and yet you've got a guy like Donald Trump with all his brassness and egotism and his loudmouth braggart ways, and he's prospering, and I can barely pay the dentist bill or the doctor bill. Envy and wondering why the wicked prosperer is driving me crazy, Lord, the psalmist is saying right here. Now, specifically, we can envy, and we can be tempted to envy, even uh, be envious of other people, good or wicked people, for the following reasons. And he gives a number of these. First of all, notice, for their seemingly comfortable and easy life. Look at verses 4a with me. Have you ever looked at someone and said, they have no struggles. They have no struggles. They're comfortable. They, they, they lead an easy life. Literally translated, the road that they're traveling on has no potholes, has no curves. It is smooth. It is straight. Compared to everybody else, everything is going their way. No drama. No, they have a wonderful job, wonderful relationships, perfectly behaved kids. Everything they touch turns to gold. Well-being in general. Notice number two. We can be envious because of their physical well-being. Look at verse four, the second part. They have no struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong. Have you ever met anybody that never, ever gets sick? Never, ever gets sick. They don't have a single ounce of fat on their entire body. They look like Ken and, and Barbie dolls. They are, in, they are so, uh, so well that it just drives you crazy. 
They never get sick. They're always uh, on top of it. They're always, uh, they never go to the doctor. They have health and physical well-being their entire life. And, um, and when we get every flu bug, when we get every cold, when we have arthritis and we have bursitis and problems with our heart and cancer, these individuals live on to be a hundred plus years and they never, one day in their life seemingly, are ever, ever sick. We can be envious of someone's physical well-being. Number three, we can also get envious of their emotional stability. Of their emotional stability. Look at verse uh, five with me. They are free. Notice, he uses that word. They are free from the common human burdens of life. They are not plagued by human ills. Talking about their mental state and their uh, mental uh, emotional state. They have everything going for them. Health, physical well-being, great jobs, great families. What do they have to worry about? It's easy for these people to see the cap, cup half full instead of the cup half, cup half empty. They're happy. They're joyful. These folks seemingly uh, go along with life. They have no past issues to deal with like a lot of us. They have no childhood abuse issues. They have no addiction issues. They have no parental issues to work through in their life. It's just emotionally stable from day one, from the day they're born. They have a silver spoon in their mouth, so to speak. And number four, we can also become envious of uh, wicked people's loud, arrogant, and boastful manners. Look at verses 6 to 8. Their pride is their necklace. They clothe themselves with violence. From their callous hearts comes iniquity. Their imaginations have no limits to, to them whatsoever. Verse 8, they scoff and they speak with malice, with arrogance. They, threat, uh, they, they threaten oppression. In a perverse way, sometimes we admire and we're envious of people like Muhammad Ali, like uh, Kim Kardashian, because such people say and do what we would like to say and do at times, but the Holy Spirit muzzles our mouth and makes us not do those things. Number five, we can be envious of a person's bold assertion about God and about theology, even though it's wrong. Bold assertion about God and about theology and, and, and doctrine of God, man, even though it's wrong. Look at verses 9 and 11. Their mouths, they claim to heaven, and their tongues take possession of the earth. Verse 11, they say, how would God know? Does the Most High know anything? Translated, they scoff. They scoff at God. They ask questions. Is God really there? If so, he's, he must be far and removed. I can do anything that I want because this God, even if he exists, he set the universe in motion and then he left. He left it. Richard Dawkins was a professor and is still affiliated with this university, a professor at one of the most well-known universities in the world. He has written many best-selling books. 
He lectures all over the world. His lectures and his debates are all over the YouTube. His religion is atheism. And Richard Dawkins is admired by millions of people. Millions of people. Because he has said things like, Faith is the world's greatest evil. My books are about killing God. Some people say, well, at least he knows what he believes. So in a twisted way, people can become envious of people with strong beliefs, even such as Richard Dawkins. Number six. Number six. Because of their material wealth, because of their riches, people can become envious of others. Notice verse 12. This is what the wicked are like, always free of care. Notice, they go on amassing wealth. And it's a well-known fact that most of the time, the richer do get richer. And we, became, and we can become envious. Look at the homes that they live in. Look at the cars that they drive. Look at the wonderful vacations that all of these people can take. Lord, it's not fair. I'm not asking for a yacht. I'm not asking for a fancy airplane. I'm not asking for, uh, for uh, a luxurious vacation. I just wish I had a little bit of drop of the bucket that Bill Gates has. I just wish I had just a little bit of what Warren Buffett has. We can become envious of another person's wealth and what it can do for them. Did you know that a one-night stay, a one-night stay in the most luxurious hotel in Dubai, in Dubai, that Middle Eastern country, starts out at $1,200 a night. And it goes up to the top suite, $30,000 plus. Dollars, almost what we make in an entire year for a one-night stay. Can you imagine such wealth? And we can become envious of other people's wealth and their well-being and their health and their emotional stability. And uh, absence of trials seemingly, self-centered life, brash ways of the wealth. But don't do it. Don't do it. The psalmist said, it almost pushed me over the edge. Shakespeare, through Othello, warns, Oh, beware, my Lord, of envy and jealousy, for it is a green-eyed monster which doth mock the meat it feeds on. It's a green-eyed monster that can literally consume you just eat you up and it will make you go crazy. And there are so many opportunities for it. And the Bible has dark, dark warnings against giving in to the temptation of envy. In Galatians chapter 5, for example, 19 through 26, Paul says that those who give in to the sins of the flesh, including envy, habitually practice these things, will not inherit the kingdom of God. In fact, there are two primary consequences of giving in to the envy of temptation. Number one, it hurts our relationship with God. It hurts our relationship with God. I can quench or grieve God's spirit as a Christian when I give in to the 
temptation of envy and jealousy. And according to Ephesians 4.30, and I can become a bitter, backsliding Christian and perhaps even lose my salvation. And number two, it can cause, it can cause our relationship with others to be injured. It can cause our relationships with others to be injured. I want you to notice James chapter 3, verse 16. This is what it says. For when you have envy and selfish ambition, they, there you find disorder, disunity, and every evil practice. James says, every evil practice against another person, including murder, idolatry, uh, adultery, strife, fornication, dissension, comes from the root. Did you hear that? comes from the root of envy, comes from the root of selfishness. It hinders our relationship with God. It hinders our relationship with other people. How does, it, how does envy ruin relationships? Well, it, it causes fights. It causes fights and arguments. Look at James chapter 4, verse 1. What causes fights and quarrels and arguments among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? It happens with families, family members, with other family members. We see this in the Old Testament. It happened between Jacob and Esau. It happened between Joseph and his brothers. It happened between Cain and Abel. We see this also in the workplace. Doctors often envy other doctors. Vice presidents often envy other vice presidents. Teachers often envy other teachers. It happens at school tomorrow when all on excuse me on Monday uh, yeah tomorrow when <laughs> I caught myself when all the kids go back to school they compare all their trucks and all their cars and all their grades and the way they look and the way they clothe with one another and it happens among friends and it can cause number two it can cause bitterness. It can cause bitterness. Uh, look at Titus 2.5. Our lives were full of resentment and envy. We hated others and they hated us. One lady said to me one time, how come my husband, how come my husband is more, how come her husband, her husband, is more spiritually committed than mine? It can happen among friends. One lady said, I'm allergic to fur. Whenever I see my best friend in one, I get sick. And finally, we're talking about the way that envy affects relationships with other people. It causes me terrible unhappiness, and it causes me terrible, terrible misery. Listen to Proverbs 14.30. A heart at peace gives life to the body, but envy rots the bones. It rots the bones. Envy is to your soul. Listen. Envy is to your soul what cancer is to your body. Remember Amadeus, the guy who was so envious of Mozart. He finally went crazy. And that's what envy will do to you. So how do we eliminate envy from our lives? Well, I want you to turn with me to a mirror passage. This is a mirror passage. This is also found in Psalm. But instead of Psalm 73, this is Psalm 37. 
This is Psalm 37. Turn over with me to Psalm 37. Psalm 37. The psalmist here also deals with the subject of envy. But instead of asking the question, why does the envy prosper? And being envious of them, as we see, saw in Psalm 73, he declares in Psalm 37.1, never envy the wicked. The NIV translation says, do not fret because of those who are evil or be envious of those who do wrong. And he gives us a number of reasons why we should not be envious of other people and what we should do when we find ourselves being tempted to be envious of another person. You want, you don't want to go down the road of envy. You don't want to suffer the consequences of that. You don't want to be a carnal Christian. You find yourself being tempted to go down that road, look at that person over there, look at, that, look at all the money they've got, who do they think they are, look at the position they have, who do they think they are, looking down their nose at me, look at that house that they have. This is how you overcome envy. Psalm 37 talks about the subject. But instead of envious, the, envying the wicked, he says this is what you do when you're faced, uh, when you're faced with envy. First of all, do not, don't go down that road, do not compare yourself with other people. Don't compare yourself with other people. This is what the psalmist is saying. All envy starts by comparing your kids, your job, your house, your car, your bank account, your this, your that, with other people. And notice what the psalmist says. Verse 1 again, do not fret because of those who are evil or be envious of those who do wrong. Notice verse 2, for like the grass, they will soon wither. Like green plants, they will soon die away. God says, don't compare yourself with other people, especially so-called evil doers. Don't do it. Don't do it at all. Why? God says he's going to fade away. His life is going to be like green grass one minute and turning brown the next minute. Why would you be envious of a person who does that, doesn't have any hope of eternal life? But you do. And that's the difference. Notice that parallel passage that I wrote there in your message notes all right, we have listed. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12. We don't compare ourselves or dare classify ourselves. It is not wise. When I was a kid, I think I was a fifth grader, maybe a fourth grader, I got a brand new bicycle for Christmas. You ever get a brand new bicycle? And I thought I was hot stuff. I got a brand new Stingray a swim bicycle, and it had a banana seat. You guys remember those banana seats? And it had a five-speed shifter on the center console there. Console. <laughs> the center area of the bicycle. It had a racing slick tire in the back, and it was blue, and it even had uh, flakes 
you know, how they desperately did that. And I got on my bike, and I was, thought I was just the Mr. Hot Stuff, man. I was going up and down the street. And then all of a sudden, I encountered Billy two streets over, and he got a brand-new 10-speed swim bicycle. And all of a sudden, I was deflated. I was deflated. My joy went down the tubes. You see, when we compare ourselves with other people, two things inevitably happen. Two things inevitably happen. Number one, um, we're better off, so we get prideful. We compare ourselves to other people. Look at those poor people over there. Look at those poor people. Oh, man, I tell you, I'm full of pride. Or number two, we compare ourselves to other people, and they're better off, and then we get envious. So the first thing that the psalmist says, don't compare yourself with another person, especially people that are so-called wicked people. Don't even go there. In the Gospel of John, I find it very interesting. Gospel of John. After Peter denies Jesus three times, he's there by the lakeside. He's been fishing, Peter and those fellows. And he sees Jesus, swims into the shore, and then Jesus has that conversation with him. And remember, asks him, Three times, do you love me? Do you? Finally, Peter says, yes, Lord, I do. I do love you. I do agape you. I do love you unconditionally. And then Jesus said, well, feed my sheep. Do all these things. And then Jesus basically tells Peter, listen, he tells him what kind of life he's going to live and that he's going to die a martyr's death. And do you remember how Peter responded? Peter basically, in my paraphrase, pointed at John pointed at the other beloved disciple and said, what about him? What about him? And Jesus said, in my paraphrase, Peter, what's that to you? This is the calling and this is the giftedness and this is where I'm leading you and I've got a plan for John's life. Don't compare don't compare. Isn't that enough? Jesus was basically asking Peter that I have a plan for your life. Number two, I think the psalmist was saying here that we need to rejoice. We need to rejoice in what we already have. We need to rejoice in what we already have. And number three, do respond to others in love. Do rejoice in what we already have. And then number three, do respond to others in love. Do good. Notice Psalm 37.3. Look at Psalm 37.3 with me. What does he say? He says, trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. What is a metaphor that he's giving here? Jesus is our great shepherd. According to Psalm 23, he makes us lie down by green pastures, he leads us by, beside quiet waters, and he restores our soul. It is a picture of contentment. It is a picture of blessing. He is saying, enjoy what you already have. And we know, and we've said it, and I'll say it again, that the poorest person in the United States is richer than two-thirds of the world. We live in the greatest nation on earth and there is not a person, I believe, 
that in this room that's ever gone without food, clothing, shelter, all the basic necessities of life are provided to you and provided to me. That is, if we put our trust in the Lord. Trust in the Lord. What do we have to worry about in Matthew 6 if we put God first? Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And all of these things, talking about all the basic necessities of life, will be provided unto you and some of your wants too. So do rejoice in what you already have and do respond to others in love. Look at that scripture, Ecclesiastes chapter 6, verse 9. It is better to be satisfied with what you have than to be always wanting something else. You say, Pastor Ron, is there anything wrong with having goals? Is there anything wrong with having dreams? No, there isn't. But while you're working on tomorrow's goals and while you're working on tomorrow's dreams, can't you be satisfied today? Can't you be happy today? Can't you rejoice in what you already have today while you're working on tomorrow's goals? We're blessed people. We are blessed people. Our culture and world says things bring happiness. They don't. People and relationships do. The great commandment, love God with all your heart, body, mind, and soul, and love your neighbor as yourself. Loving neighbor as yourself, doing good to others, serving others. That's the antidote to envy. Serving others. Listen, I want you to say amen every time I make a statement. Would you do that for me this morning? I want you to say amen every time I say this statement, okay? Here it is. Here are these statements, all right? Being happy when another person gets a promotion. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. You guys are good. Being happy when another person gets a brand new car. Amen. <laughs> Being happy when another person can retire early. <laughs> That's a more difficult one, isn't it? <laughs> Oh, man, alive. Love. Love is the antidote. It's the antidote to envy. Love is happy when others are blessed. Love gets happy when another person succeeds. Romans chapter 12, verse 15. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. And this verse is the exact opposite of envy. Number four. I think the psalmist also teaches the antidote to envy is this. You need, do refocus, do refocus on making God number one. Notice how he says this in verses 4 and 5. Look at it with me. He says, take delight in the Lord. And what? He'll give you the desires of your heart. Take the light of the Lord, and He'll give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord and trust in Him, and He will do this. And He will do this. You say, Pastor Ron, put it all together for me. I don't really understand. I kind of do, but I don't understand. Well, here it is. Envy, envy, usually arise, usually occurs from not having the desires of your heart met. Stay with me. Envy usually happens from not having the desires of your heart met. You see something that somebody else has and you wish you had it. This is desire. So the best way to fight 
this envy is to claim the promise and say, Now, Lord, you made a promise to me in verse 4 of Psalm 37, and you said, If I will put my delight in you, if I will trust you with all my heart, if I commit all of my ways to you, that you will give me the most intense desires of my heart. The deepest desires of my heart. As I give myself to you, as I delight in you, as I commit all myself to you, as I consecrate everything to you, you give me the desires of my heart. Now, I'm not going to be the one who will be bagging on your desires. But I've noticed that as I do this in my own life, that often my desires are not exactly what I wanted at first because my desires begin to change. No longer do I want to be a millionaire, not that I ever did. No longer did I really want a big house. But I certainly wanted a beautiful wife and a loving relationship and children children that walks with the Lord. I didn't necessarily want to retire early. I think retirement's for you guys it's okay, but I can never see myself retiring early. But I certainly I certainly want God's peace in my life. Delight yourself in the Lord. Delight yourself in the Lord. And He will give you the desires of your heart. Let me set the scene of this uh, story. I believe it's found in John chapter 6. Jesus said to His disciples, I want you to go out and I want you to feed the multitude of people around here. I want you to feed the multitude of people around you. And the disciples came back to Jesus and they said, Lord, there's too many people. It would take 200 denarii worth of bread to feed all these people. And even if we had the money, it's too late in the day to go and buy the bread and to come back and feed all these people. It's an impossible task to feed all of these people. And Jesus said in response, well, what do you have? What do you have? Well, there's a little boy over here that has five barley loaves of bread and two fishes. Well, what's this for so many people? The disciples asked. Now, if I had been that little boy right there, I can just imagine the little boy saying, It's all I've got. Don't make me feel so bad. It's all I got. And that's where I think we're all at in our lives. We're like that little boy. Five barley loaves of bread and two fishes. And we look at all of these people and we look around and we say, they're not more talented than we are. They're not more rich. They're not more wealthy. They're not better looking. They have better health than we have.
And all you have is five barley loaves and two fishes in a job that requires 200 denarii worth of bread. Ever feel that way? And Jesus says what? He says, give it to me. Everything. Not one loaf, all five, all two, all two fishes. And the Bible says he takes it and he prays over it and he feeds 5,000 men and plus women and children. And then he takes the 12 baskets left over and he gives one to who? Every one of his disciples that did not believe that Jesus could feed the multitude. <laughs> Isn't that a wonderful story? Isn't that great? When we give what we think is not adequate and not sufficient. <laughs> Come on now. Do you ever feel adequate or sufficient? Do you ever feel like you have the resources that you need? Do you ever feel like that you have all the money that you need? Do you ever feel like you have all of the wisdom that you need? Do you ever feel like you, that you have all what it takes to fulfill your job? We have, we have to feed, so to speak, 5,000 people, 5,000 men, plus all of their wives, plus all of their children. We have five loaves of bread, and we have two fishes. We have a $200, uh, 200 denarii worth of bread uh, to feed. We, 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 don't, we don't even have that. We don't have anything except for this. Except for that. This, 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 this. And when we give what we think, we don't have... I have enough of. We get back more than we ever, ever dreamed possible. And this is the kingdom of God. Apply that to your life. Apply that to your situation. Apply that to your job. Apply that to our church. In Ephesians we read, God can do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we can think or ask. I told you about my, uh, one of my favorite pastor friends, my former district superintendent. I've talked about him before, Pastor Mel. How he got voted out of that church and then he got the chance to go to another church and God did wonderful things there. And they built a brand new church building, big, big, beautiful church in Bakersfield. And uh, and he said, "Hey, folks, on the studs, I want you to write your favorite verse." And Mel told me later. I said, uh, I asked him. I said, Mel, what was your what's your favorite verse? What's your life verse? And he said, I wrote it right on the floor behind the pulpit. And I wrote it there before they put the carpet down. Right on the subfloor, God can do exceedingly abundantly above all that we can think or ask or imagine. Delight yourself in the Lord. Refocus on making Him number one. 
not number two, not number three, not number four. Refocus on making him number one. You say, Pastor Rod, my life's already blessed, and, uh, and maybe the Lord's not number one all the time. Just imagine the blessings you receive in your life if you made him number one. He's blessing you because of grace. Would you bow your heads with me and let's pray together?